Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and today myself and co-host George Ellick will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside bet 365 Steve Freeth. Before we get into the first game of the weekend, remember you can sign up to The Athletic and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sports. That's just £3.33 a month for an entire year just by going to theathletic.com slash footballpod. So the first game that is this weekend is Friday night. It's Brighton v Crystal Palace. I presume taking your EFL slot, George. I'm not mm. sure. Have they taken your EFL slot away? They have, yeah. We haven't got one for a couple of weeks, sadly. Premier League takes priority on Never. Sky Sports. So yeah, Brighton <laughs> v Crystal Palace. And waxing lyrical about Elise before last week's podcast preview in the FA Cup action. Did very well. And now he's probably set for a run in the side. Yeah, anyone who's unlucky enough... Um, to follow me on Twitter would have seen me getting quite excited during the game because he wasn't just good. And, and I know, you know, it's the FA Cup and it's it's Millwall. Um, you know, it's a championship side. He should be... Tough place to go. It, I mean, it is it is the tough place to go. I think it only comes behind Stoke in, in terms of being a tough place to go. Hey, come on, who sponsors this? <laughs> that's, a good, that's, a, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, no, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm 10 minutes away and it's bloody freezing. But he was... He was unbelievable. I mean, he he was untouchable. He, I think Scott Mullen's probably having nightmares ever since the game. Uh, he he showed himself in the first half. He was kind of lively without doing too much, but his ability to get on the ball on the right hand side and cut onto his left foot. He, he scored a goal from doing it. He uh, hit the woodwork about two minutes later with a, a pretty much the same effort, and then the assist for the for the winner as well. Uh, just standing a player up, little shimmy and a, and a and a perfect ball in. He he's just one of those talents where. And I said it last week, the fact that he was available for £8 million in the summer and no team, well, I mean, I'm sure a couple of teams were in, but no Tottenham, no Arsenal, no Manchester United. The fact that these teams went in for him is a massive oversight because that's what he's destined to be. He's so young. He's already operating at such a high level. And normally when you look at, you know, the players moving to AFCON, you've got Ayu and Zaha both unavailable at the moment for for Palace. Uh, Normally that is going to, come with a, a massive dip in quality but when you've got Michael Olise um, coming into the side who is going to be staking a claim to stay there uh, I think there's every reason for Palace fans to be very excited about what's coming because you know I think it's right that Patrick Vieira has taken his time to introduce him into the first team fold even though he had he played a lot of minutes at Reading you know he's not somebody who, who, who hasn't played first team football uh, but he He's going to take his chance. I've got no doubt about it, and I think he's going to be one of those players. You know, we've seen it was it was similar with Eze last season. When he gets a run of games and people realise how good he is, there's going to be big hype about the boy because he's uh, he's an incredibly exciting player. Not only is he a good player, but he's one of those players who is just so enjoyable to watch as well. It's almost 
been held back a little bit like Foden was at Manchester City and under Pep. I think it's a sensible approach when integrating new players, to be perfectly honest. And Steve, Eze is back in the frame now as well. George just touched on him. But Palace have got an unbelievable abundance yeah. of attacking options when you look at their squad. Exciting times, I think, being a Palace fan at the moment. As much as I loved uh, Roy Hodgson, uh, he did he did wonders at the Albion. He did uh, an extremely good job at uh, Palace as well. But this is a different Palace side now, isn't it? Under under Vieira, uh, certainly, you know, they have more possession. Quite noticeably, more possession as well. You know, the pressing as well. Of course, of course, Dan, they've lost a few players to uh, to the Af- Afcon as well, haven't they? Zahar and Ayu and, and, and Koyate in the middle of the park. So it's interesting to see who's going to do the the shielding job in front. I just love Palace just to absolutely go for it and just make it even more entertaining. They are, they do press more aggressively. That's right. They're taking so many more shots. They're taking these shots closer to goal. They're giving up less shots as well. And when they do concede the shots, it, it's actually further away from last season. I know. Um, talking about the about the midfield. Eze, it was great that he got 64 minutes under his belt. Um, he was actually one of the most fouled players in the in the Premier League last season when he did play. He was sixth behind Jack Grealish. And I also found it quite interesting that, that Zaha and Ayu are taking positions one and two in the fouls drawn column this season as well. So with Eze back in, I'm sure he'll be able to draw a few more fouls. Milivojevic, when he plays, I always feel he gets a little bit exposed. He was against West Ham as well. So mm. it'll be interesting to see who who Vieira actually puts in that midfield. But me personally, as a neutral, I'd just love him to get forward and uh, and let's see some more entertaining stuff from Crystal Palace. Yeah, because if they've got all this attacking talent, George, they could end up having to change system slightly, maybe play with the number 10, which would see Conor Gallagher move a little bit deeper, which would curtail him. Would you, you wouldn't really want that, I suppose, would you? And it's not just Gallagher as well. I mean, Will Hughes is another player who I think a lot of people don't realise how good he is. I mean, on the ball, he is a, a, a technical little wizard in midfield. And, and I think when you have that you know, that range of attacking talent, you've got in Gallagher, you've got this absolute whirlwind of a midfield player who's so destructive in what he can do on and off the ball. In Hughes, you've got the, the technical player who can keep the ball moving, but also be creative. And then you've got these two... Almost. I mean, there's no reason why these guys aren't basically generational talents in, in Eze and Elise. Um, with welcoming back Zaha still to come, I, I think Ayu's days of being a first-team player, um, I think maybe his absence at AFCON is going to end up really hurting him because I don't think he's going he's gonna to struggle to get back on the side when he comes back. Um, and we have mentioned Odson Edward as well, who's had a decent start to his Palace career. Um, Christian Benteke is in decent form. I think you have to embrace it. You just have to say that this is a side here who we need to get these players on the board as much as possible and I think in Patrick Vieira from what we've seen in his first six months of management or first half of season management in the Premier League he he is that manager he's, he's happy to take risks he encourages his players to, to play in a way that sees them retain possession of the football they do more than any team I mean it's a little bit like Chelsea and, and Maurizio Sarri where they, they keep the ball in deep areas a lot you know you're seeing um Rakim Anderson being the player who who gets on the ball most often uh, and, and Mark Wahey, they basically keep the ball in defence fairly fairly often but they push their, their defensive line high up as well in order to ensure that players are kept in, in positions that are where they can impact the game and if you think back to the reverse of this game where we didn't know much about Vieira and you know, it was it was painful for Palace to concede that very late goal from Neil Morpé in, in, in the one-all draw but they're one of the only teams I've seen effectively stop Graham Potter's Brighton from playing the way they want to play. You know, we've seen Potter and his Brighton team 
dominate possession against some of the the biggest or the supposedly biggest team and best teams in the league but they weren't able to do that in, in the reverse of this fixture so I'm interested to see how this is going to happen again because I think Potter will come into it knowing that if he tries to play their normal game and try to retain possession and try and press high they're going to come up against a side who are going to try and fight fire with fire and, and do exactly the same thing yeah, never mind the nine subs been a benefit to the the big boys I mean, Palace are quite grateful of the nine subs with, with, with all their talent let's talk about Brighton then Steve Eve Basuma, fifty million pound price tag. Is he worth it? And which Premier League midfield needs him the most? I suppose Aston Villa would like him, Dan, wouldn't they? They've Apparently. been heavily linked with him. Is that right? Would you take him there? I'd take him, but it's something I can't Where would see he fit happening in? in January. In midfield, Steph. Playing the midfield. Nakamba's Nakamba's got a season-ending injury, hasn't he? So we're, we're kind of crying out for a, a defensive midfielder. But I can't, I can't see Villa spending fifty million pound on a central midfielder in January. Eighteen months left on his contract, so he's you know he's caught the eye of of many a big club. I think you know breaking up play, shielding that defence that's only conceded what nineteen twenty goals this season as well. So clearly he has caught the eye and. Maybe the producer would like him at Arsenal, Liverpool, even Manchester United. Maybe they're crying out for somebody like that. So it'd be interested to see uh, see where he goes. I think I think United look like the ones to me who, who would make the most sense away from Villa. Um, so, so that won't absolutely happen then if it makes well, sense. Well, uh, you say United. that, but but you look at the you look at the profile of Basuma where you've got. To, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that we're seeing Basuma being linked to a move this window, not necessarily because he's the player that he is and obviously he's a great talent but you look at the fees that are being mentioned and the fact that he's got 18 months left on his deal and the fact that he hasn't signed a new contract Tony Bloom is is no mug he will be fully aware that the only way that they will be able to recoup the kind of money they want for Basuma is to sell him now because if he's still there in the summer and there's 12 months left absolute pie in the sky thinking you're going to get anywhere near 40 million pounds because people are going to be happy clubs are going to be happy to wait for another season and pick him up for, for very little so it's in Brighton's interest to cash in. Bloom understands value better than anyone, even better than Steve. And so, um, <laughs> so I, I'm, I, I, and Manchester United have a history of, let's, how do we put this? Not necessarily being um, the wisest with their spending. You know, not looking at a, a a a high transfer fee as being a block between getting the player that they want. So, given that we we know they want to sign a player of that ilk, I think Basuma is one of those players where he gets a lot of credit for what he does. On uh, off the ball, but I think he's actually decent on it as well. He could easily play for a side who who want to keep it and want to and want to uh, to play quickly in transition. The only issue is, are Manchester United going to want to spend 40, 50 million pounds on a player when they don't know who their manager is going to be in in August? I'd argue most people know value better than Steve because when you're in corporate for free every week, how can you possibly know value? <laughs> uh, it's just impossible, isn't it? Steve, I know I get digging somewhere. Yeah, happy I, with myself. I, I, I enjoyed Monday night, Dan. Yeah, the food was great. The, the, yeah, the drinks were great the and the AR result was, was fantastic. Yeah, yeah of course. I yeah. mean, we will come yeah. on to Villa. I'm sure you'll get a chance to mention it again. But happy to get that little dig in early. I can relax for the rest of the podcast now. Uh, season match bet. Who's going to finish higher? And like a maths teacher or an examiner, I want you to explain your working out. Well, the odds compilers see it as a as as quite favourably in uh, in Brighton's favour. Down two to seven, Brighton five to two, Crystal Palace. They're four points in front with a game and game in hand. And the last time Brighton finished above Palace was actually in uh, the twenty twelve thirteen season in the Championship, but. Palace did go on to beat them in the playoff semi with Zahar getting a couple of goals. And you remember Kevin Phillips getting that injury time winner in the final against Watford as well. So two teams clearly uh, on the up, especially Palace. But we, you know, with the points advantage in the game in hand and looking at the data as well, it's uh, it's quite a big thumbs up to Brighton in this one. 
George, you got anything to add to that? I've, I've spent the last hour trying to come up with a case to back Palace and I, I can't do it. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that 2 to seven's value on Brighton um, if you want to chuck it with uh, a couple of other bits for your, your kind of long-term hackers and stuff and that might be a way to go. Um, but if, if, if you're sitting here listening to this thinking, oh, five to two Palace sounds big for the match bet, I think you're probably better off just backing them to, to win the game at three to one um, on Friday night because they'll probably have to do that in order to have a chance because if they don't, as Steve says, if, even if they draw four points behind Brighton with a game in hand, if they lose, then it's it's curtains anyway. So if you are pro Palace, you think those that price discrepancy seems wrong. I think probably playing the game on 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 Friday is the way to go. And you got a tip for this game, George? Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm a massive fan of both of these sides, and I'm really looking forward to to watching it, even if I won't be um, at Sky Studios myself. Um, but it's it's Friday, a... Friday night off on the plus. <laughs> That's true. Uh, am I off? Yeah, I am off. Uh, I'm working Saturday though. There we go. Um, you know, this is this is a derby, and I know a lot of people out there um, don't don't understand the derby, don't understand the rivalry between these two sides, but it absolutely exists, and it is very passionate within the fan bases as well. And as such, I always, uh, whenever this is the case, look at the bookings market. Jared Gillett is the um, is the referee, the Australian referee, who does. You know, he's not necessarily particularly card shy. He doesn't always dish them out either, but it's not enough to to dissuade me. And looking through the the Brighton team, um, who looked to me to be value to be shown a card, I've landed on Adam Lallana, um, who I think a lot of people will still maybe consider Adam Lallana is a technical tricky flair player but now playing in the middle of the park he does a lot more than that and he is somebody who is pretty happy to take a card um, you know he commits a fair few fouls in games and already this season we've seen him carded three times against uh, Norwich against Manchester City and against Newcastle so if this does descend into quite a heated game a player who is in the middle of the park playing up against two players in Eze and and Olise who we know as Steve said a, a you know, are likely to go down if if touched. Um, I think he could be an interesting one. Conor Gallagher also appealed at eleven to four as well, so they'd be the two I'd be looking at. But but Lallana at five to one uh, to be carded the way I'm going. Game two of the weekend is Manchester City v Chelsea, which is Saturday lunchtime. Steve, pretty crucial for Chelsea that they they win this game really because if they've got any desires to be in the title race, I mean a defeat really is unthinkable. Yeah, and it's one that's happened very quickly, hasn't it, Dan? Mm, from yeah. from just like a month ago, yeah. all of us. You know, I know we touched on this pod many a time. We were excited, weren't we, that it was going to be a three horse race pre Christmas, and then all of a sudden a lot of things have changed. And I mean, let's not forget Tuchel had Pep's number last season with those three games, winning all three games, and and the massive one as well in the Champions League final. And I think when we looked at that team sheet from the Champions League final, we were quite surprised that there was no Fernandinho, no Rodri, and we're all thinking. Has Pep been overthinking it again? And Tuchel just seemed to have his number. When I was asking around people, you know, why why did it happen last season? Some people were suggesting that Pep couldn't believe how well that Tuchel's side dealt with uh, dealt with the press. The team selection was the icing on the cake for me. But of course, it was different this season. I think he started Rodri in that game that that Chelsea won, uh, that Manchester City won as well. And let's be honest, they won quite convincingly. If you cast your minds back to the start of the season, they'd lost to Spurs pretty early on Manchester City. They drew at home to Southampton. And then they had Liverpool and PSG in those run of fixtures after this fixture against Chelsea. So no such problems. It was a comfortable victory. And with Chelsea playing, Kepa's in goal, isn't he, instead of yeah. Mendy as well. So I think they have to give uh, they have to give uh, Kepa plenty of protection. Um, but I, I, I think it's a tough ask and I think Manchester City just win this game. 
One player Chelsea have missed out on is Luca Dean, who has now left Everton and joined Aston Villa. I mean, Chelsea need a left-back, George, because obviously Ben Chilwell's out for the season. They're trying to get Emerson back from his loan at Lyon, mm-hmm. but we're unsure at this time how viable that is. Kennedy's actually come back from his loan spell, hasn't he? So they have got an extra option in that position now. Yeah, and, and Malang Sar as well played there um, in the Carabao Cup game in midweek too. So another option. I mean, they, they probably do need someone there. Quite clearly, the head of recruitment at uh, Chelsea doesn't listen to this podcast, nor does Thomas Tuchel, because otherwise they'd have come in for Rico Henry. So I'll say it again. In Rico Henry, they've got a player who probably lives down the road who'd be the perfect person to bring in as a long-term project to, to play there and be, you know, I'm sure in, in two or three years' time, he'd be a, a member of their first team. I, I think Dean, you would have been a good option Uh although age-wise a short-term option as well. Um, I, I do wonder if you know, he is a player who's very good on the ball. He is a very good, um, he's a very creative player. He's a good crosser. He's a good passer. He looks to me to be very well suited to playing for a side like Chelsea, where when you play that left-back or left-wing-back role, you don't have to do much defending. At Villa, you know, that's not as as true. Um, although obviously Matt Target staying at the club means you, you will have those options. But um I mean, with Chelsea, it's not a it's not a massive deal, is it? You know, Chilwell is obviously a big loss, but they have strength and depth. We just rattled off a few players who can play there. Reese James can play there as well. We've seen him play on the left hand side plenty of times before as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it'll be well. I was going to say it'd be frustrating, but I'm pretty sure if Chelsea wanted uh, Luca Dina, he'd be a Chelsea player by now. So. All right, George, no need for that, wasn't it? A little, <laughs> little, little dig at the end. Sam Lee's been writing about Rihad Mahrez, how he's thriving in a more patient City team. And he was player of the month for December with over 80% of the vote. He's now off at AFCON, captaining the reigning champions, Algeria. City will miss him, to be fair, Steve. I'd actually go as far yeah. as to say he's probably the most consistent member of their front three. And that's a weird thing to say, and people might laugh at that, but I think that's true. No, I, I like watching him play. It's just... You know when he's got the ball at his feet and he just drops his left shoulder. You kind oh, of know what he's going to yeah, do yeah. a bit, uh, do a bit like Iron Robin used to. Do you, you know what he was going to do? But but you know stopping him was was clearly going to be <laughs> a lot tougher. He's he's done well this season. He's in fact there was a article in the Athletic, yeah, of course that you know he'd uh, he'd had a brilliant 2021. That you know the best of all Manchester City players. You know better than Sterling, better than Bernardo Silva with goals and assists as well. And and he's signed off for the African Cup of Nations by scoring in the final five games. He seems to be first choice penalty taken now as well, despite that miss at Anfield a few years ago. Uh, I like him. Tough tough boots to fill. I know they've got a lot of players there. You know, like Chelsea have got a lot of players to fill the left-hand side. There's, there's an absolute truckload of pe- people that can fill, fill that right-hand side as well. So who knows? Maybe Jack Grealish could play on that side. Well, he's not really playing at all at the moment, is he? Is he exactly. Yeah. Well, he's more on the front pages than the back pages, isn't he, since he's left Villa? <laughs> yeah, it's not gone great for him so far, but I'm sure it will turn around for Jack Grealish. Steve, in the market side of things, what's it looking like for the winning margin for Manchester City? Yeah, well, the 6-1 to not to win the title, Dan, for the fourth time in fifth seasons, uh, five seasons, sorry, and... They won it by 12 points last year. We're four to five on them to win by 10 points or more. So quite clearly, you know, this winning machine carries on. They just don't draw games either, do they? I know they seem to win every week, but they don't draw many. So I'm sure over the last three or four seasons, they've drawn the least amount of games and it's looking very good for them as well this season. I'm interested in that market, um, the winning margin, because I would be against that 10 or more at four to five. Uh, not because I don't think City aren't the best team um, in the in the league or anything like that, but we are talking 
at a moment in time where City have been winning games and both their opposition teams, uh, both the sides who could catch them, Chelsea and Liverpool, have been struggling. And you know, football is, is cyclical and there will be a time in the season, I have no doubt, that City will drop points, whether that's dropping you know, three points in over the course of a couple of games or if they go on a worse run than that. And then crucially, there is no doubt that the, the most important thing in, at Manchester City if and when they win the league, come the end of the season, we'll be winning the Champions League. And and I've got no doubt that like last season, they'll go deep in that competition. And there comes a stage where if and when the title is wrapped up, um, whether you know they've they've actually been crowned champions or not, um, the league isn't the priority anymore, as long as they're clear. And then I do wonder if that points per game in the last two or three games of the season could uh, come down and, and open the door for one of those other teams to finish a bit closer. So I'd be looking at maybe dutching um, four to six and, and seven to nine at 11 to four and eight to one um, as being a way to play that because, yeah, it, it's too easy. I mean, if they do if they do go and win it by 20 points, fair play, but I think there's enough doubt there um, for that odds on to be, to be a bit skinny. And uh, the final game of the season is against Villa, of course, who will be fighting for their lives to get three points to stay in the division. So, but, yeah, they probably will rest a few. Uh, and go on the record now and say Aston Villa will not get relegated this season, Steve. Do not need to worry okay. about Don't worry about that. Well, what is your tip for the game? Tight tactical battle between Guardiola and Tuchel. Under two and a half goals around the 11 to 10 mark. Good to over two games in. You haven't tipped a fullback to score or a defender to score. <laughs> give it, what, give it time, Daniel. On? Give it time. What, what is happening on this podcast? This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Game three, of course, is Aston Villa versus Manchester United and VAR. 5.30 kickoff. George, I'm still very, very upset. <laughs> well, I, was, I mean, I was going to say, let's, let's talk, talk through it. I mean, how, what was your view? I mean, if, if having been on the podcast last week and tipped Villa to win the game at 9-2, to two, I, I mean, I, I watched it through my fingers thinking, I don't understand how this is going to not just be a draw, but how I'm going to get beat here. Um, as a fan, what were your, what were your thoughts? I've I've can't have calmed down through the week, and I've I've realised the VAR decision was actually given for offside as the days have gone on. But mm. but I just think it was it was just like they wanted to find anything, wasn't it, to to disallow that goal? They looked at so many different facets of play, so many different aspects in the build up. If you look hard enough, you'll find something. It just felt very very harsh. But Villa, Stephen Gerrard said this and got themselves to blame in a lot of respects because you can't go and create that many chances and not punish, playing a relatively poor goal, although it was a great ball in from Fred. And it was just a very beatable Manchester United side that, that Villa didn't beat. But I, I'm very confident that they'll get revenge on Saturday. Very, very confident, in fact. I felt sorry for the people. I mean, generally VAR, guys, when you pay to get into a game and yet you don't 
no gags there, Dan. But when you pay to go into a game and you're kind of lo- and you're kind of looking at the screen, kind of waiting to see what happens. If you're on your sofa in your slippers, you're kind of being told what's happening. Yeah. Yet here, I mean, you know, for three or four minutes, you're kind of sitting around saying, "What was that for?" Yeah, it's a lot of time when you're at the game. Any any idea what was that? And then. Still after the game, you're thinking, well, what was it for in the first place? But unless you watch it on TV, you don't know, do you? Yeah, I mean, Steve, we will criticise you a little bit as well, because you've been saying for months about catching a game together, and then you rock up in corporate hospitality at Old Trafford, Villa are playing, and there's no invite, no call. <laughs> those those prawn sandwiches were fantastic, I tell you. The seats, the cushion seats were brilliant in the director's box. I mean, someone who's not enjoying themselves at the moment is Marcus Rashford. And apparently, mm. according to the athletic, I said apparently, I mean, according to the athletic, <laughs> he's been leaning on ex-pros for advice to get out of his recent slump, George. I feel this is really, really harsh to single out Rashford because nobody at Manchester United is playing well. I know. I mean, it's really difficult because totally wrongly, he has made himself a target for certain people who don't. I mean, it, it's absolutely incredible that I can even say this, but there there is a, a small section of society who resent him for the for the things that he has done off the pitch and would rather that he stuck to football, which is, and whatever percent of the comments mention that he should concentrate on football. And also there's a factor here where when your chips are down, when things aren't going too well, often things can happen just to exacerbate it. And that chance, you know, in the athletic piece, it dissects it well. The, the parry out from Martinez, from, from the Greenwood um, shot, where he doesn't chase it down. I, I've watched it a few times and I was really happy to see on, on, on the piece in the Athletic the, the, two, the two stills. Because I think it's just one of those things where it looks incredibly, it looks so much worse than it was from Rashford, where he basically checks his run before the save is made because I think he was anticipating the, the ball to be squared. It's also, exactly. it's, it's, it's also not a direct parry. Like it comes off him and then, and then there's another movement before it rolls out towards him. And, it, and because of the camera angle, he's just not as close to the ball as it looks. Now he might've got there. He might've got there. And, yeah. and, and if he had done, I mean, could, could you see it from where you were? George, in real time, I have to say, I, I, I turned to the guy next to me and says, wow, you know, why didn't he follow that up? And the crowd reaction to it was like massively mm. vocal. And and I think it was you know, frustration, man, because Villa were playing you know pretty well as well. So in real time where I was sitting, it looked like he just hadn't bothered and he turned his back. So without looking at you know the replays of it again, then you know from your explanation, then, then obviously that explains it a little bit more. Did he get a bad reaction when he was subbed as well? Because that came across a little bit on the team. Yeah, 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 there was some ironic, some ironic cheers as well. The fact that he, there was a double substitution, I think, and he, and he was one of them and... You know, and you know, like George has, has touched on, it's it seems just to be low on confidence to me. And the fact he's only had uh, what a couple of goals all season is 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 clearly frustrating and, and, and no assists as well. So I think there's another. I mean, the, the other issue, of course, is that he's injuries he's playing, that he's been playing yeah, with. He's playing with an injury how long. for for the whole of last season with, it, with it his seems shoulder. Like forever that he's been playing with. But, it, but yeah. is there not another issue here? Where I just I'm not sure he's that good. You know he's he's a good footballer. He's he's an okay part of Manchester United squad. He burst on the scene with with all his fanfare. But I'm not convinced that Marcus Rashford is an elite level footballer, even at his best. Now that has nothing to do with his inability to, or the fact that he didn't chase down that ball or whatever. But I I do think because of his profile and because what he did as a young player, expectations are maybe may raised higher than his actual level. There's no doubt that he's better than what he's showing now. Um, but I, I wonder if there is. 
yeah, just unfair expectations maybe weighing on his shoulders as well. I'm not convinced. You know, personally, I think that that um, that Greenwood is a a much more exciting talent, a more naturally gifted player, and someone whose career will will eclipse Rashford's. But I'm gonna stick up for him a little bit because you know, you point to his goal record there. I mean, Bruno Fernandes last season was Manchester United's most consistent player. Albeit he did score a lot of penalties, but you know his output's been really, really poor this season. Definitely. No, but I mean, I'm not, it's a, it's a I'm not arguing with that. Of course it is. Of course it's a team problem. And, and in a weird way, I know that me saying that I don't think Marcus Rashford's that good doesn't sound like a defence of him. But that's what I'm, I'm trying to say, that you know maybe it must weigh heavily on a guy who, let's face it, Marcus Rashford hasn't played at that consistently high level that's anticipated of him, of him for a long time. Like a long time. And maybe another manager coming in will get the best out of him. But at the moment, it feels like he's on a hiding to nothing. He's expected to perform at a level that he hasn't done for ages. He's been playing with injuries. As I say, things conspire against him in a certain situation that, that doesn't help. And I know there will be people, there'll be United fans listening who completely disagree with me, and that's fine. He, he doesn't look happy on the pitch. He doesn't look right. Um, and the only way that he is going to get to the, back to where we think he should be is if something just falls for him. You know, Greenwood squares that ball for him and he, t- he has a tap in. It's a completely different story to what we're seeing now. Um I'll say it again, football is is, is cyclical and, and, and he is in, in the midst of a, of a bit of a storm and he will come out of it at some point. Um, but I just think maybe people have to dampen their expectations a little bit on, on what to expect from him as a footballer. I mean, I'm wildly throwing out my own opinions here as well, which isn't the idea of the podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Scott McTominay, you know, people say he's a positive under, under Ranić so far, George. I would say him being a standout player for Manchester United is a real problem. Because over the years, at Manchester United, he'd have been a squad player. There's absolutely no way he'd be a first-choice central midfielder for a club like Manchester United. But now we, we all watch him and think, yes, he's very consistent. Yes, he's good at what he does. But to me, that just shows how far Manchester United have fallen. Yeah, possibly. I, I, it kind of reminds me a little bit of of the Jordan Henderson um, career arc, where you're probably right. And, and I think if if Liverpool had been operating at the, the kind of level they have done under Jurgen Klopp for the last few seasons... Jordan Henderson probably would would never have been as important a player as, as he has been over the last couple of years. And I think the same might be true with McTominay, where he was only able to, to break into the first team and, and do what he's been doing because of a slip in standards. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if if Manchester United were in a much better position in three or four years' time with a different manager, if the majority of the squad had probably moved on. It wouldn't surprise me if McTominay is still there and, and a pretty crucial figure because he gets the most out of his ability. I think he's grossly underrated in terms of what he can do in the opposition box. I think we're seeing him now as a proper box-to-box midfielder who can score goals and he's also very sound defensively. Yes, he might not have the the talent, you know, the... the, the well, I think that's disrespectful. I, I think he does have the talent. He may not be quite as flashy or he may not have the... You know, he's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, possibly. But you look at someone like Darren Fletcher and I think that McTominay is a better footballer and certainly better um, in terms of an attacking threat than Fletcher was you know you need those players in your side and he's clearly got um, a massive appetite to, to do well you know he is thriving in a team who are massively struggling um, so I, I I get what you're saying and I don't think I, I think he, he only gets the chance he gets because United are in the spot that they're in but I think he's now proven himself to be an effective player and certainly under under Raniak he's the one who seems to be stepping up George has had a go at Rashford I've had a go at McTominay anyone you want to have a go at in the <laughs> Manchester United team <laughs> No, I want to go back, mate, to be honest, and get that uh, hospitality again. Oh, so I'll just sit tight, shall I? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, George, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, last week I tipped up Villa to win at 9-2 to at Old Trafford. So I, I don't think I can sit here, even though 
home advantage is clearly evident. I can't sit here and, and tip Villa at two to one. Um, sadly, I think the value may have been squeezed out of this matchup because it's been made pretty clear that, that the gulf that was apparent in the prices last week just doesn't exist and this should be a pretty tight game. Uh, I do think, despite it only being there only being one goal um, on uh, in the FA Cup game, I, I think that we're going to see more than that here. I'd be absolutely amazed if Villa don't score, given what we saw. And I think... A lot of the narrative here has been about um, Villa being unlucky, but you know United had a couple of chances um, on the break at one nil to, to to increase their lead as well. You know we've, we've mulled over one of them in in detail just a second ago, but it wasn't the only one. So I reckon both teams to score and over two and a half goals at six to five is the way to play this. Um, United do not like look like a very capable defensive unit, but certainly going forward they still possess something, and I think Villa, as you've said, Dan, will, will fancy revenge and could well get it. Yeah, little story for you here, Steve, that I think you'll quite like. This changes the changes the match betting for me. I've been to every Villa versus Manchester United game at Villa Park since 1994. Oh, they've won. You were there when he, when Ian Taylor opened the school. So was, when you last, no, was, was it 95? So 95. Yeah, 95. So I was there yeah, last yeah. time Villa beat Manchester United at Villa Park in 1995. I haven't missed a single yeah. game when they played each other since. Villa haven't won once. Correct. I can't go on Saturday because I'm on a stag there, <laughs> which I'm fuming about. So I've never, ever been more certain that Villa are going to beat Manchester United. Steve, I've the trade it. I've so I wanted to say it. Like, six to four. Oh. Six to four, Villa. Six, E-roll. E-roll, Villa. I have yeah. been desperate to see Villa beat Manchester United at Villa Park. So much hurt over the years. Late goals, super subs. And they're going to do it when I'm not there. And I don't think I'll even be able well, to watch you, it on TV. Well, you know what? I haven't sorted my game out yet for Saturday. I was I was going to go to Chase Town, right? But now I'm, I'm thinking of going there now just to spite you. In fact, I haven't seen Villa do the double over Manchester United oh, yeah, since I, I was a kid. Like, yeah, the double yeah. as well. 19, oh. 1954 was the last time you did the double over over Manchester United, Dan. So even more reason to go at the weekend and, and cheer on Villa. It's the perfect storm as well. I'm so excited about the two new signings. We'll both probably play Coutinho and Dean. But I'm just missing it all. I've never been more certain that they're going to win in my life. Expect uh, a few texts come about half seven, seven <laughs> pal. I might even have to turn off the mass singer to, to, to annoy you. Yeah, I tell you what, you'll be lucky to get any signal if you are at Villa Park. Signal around there is absolutely atrocious. Game four is West Ham versus Leeds United, which is the Sunday 2pm offering. And a, re- a redo of the FA Cup tie on Sunday seems to happen an awful lot, that kind of thing. Obviously, mm. it's happening in the game before Villa playing Man U as well. Ben Johnson, Steve, becoming an important player for West Ham this season, hasn't he? Yes, he has. He's uh, He's got a, a load of minutes under his belt as well. He's not in the side at the moment, Dan, is he? I think Sufel played against uh, against Norwich uh, uh, last night bit as well. So, yeah, yeah, of course, bit of rotation. I think he's he scored as well this season as well, didn't he? I, I, must, I, I seem to remember me looking at him, because you know I love a full-back to score. And I'm thinking to myself, should I back him? I didn't. He was 50s. I know this is a hard luck story. I'm not expecting you to get the, uh, the violin out for me just because a full-back scored. But it was, uh, yeah, it was good to see him score. I think that was against, who was it against? I can't you remember. You know exactly who it was against. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, no, exactly it was against the Villa. That's it. Right, I, I forgot it. Right yes, in front of me yes. the whole 10. I remember that goal <laughs> going in very well. <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah, good for him. West Ham are uh, hopefully going to tie him down. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it just looks such a good future at the moment for West Ham. You know, yeah, a few weeks good. ago, it looked a little bit dodgy. It just looked really good now. And of course, they're challenging for a, for a top four spot after that convincing victory over Norwich. Yeah, and the Athletics' Roshan Thomas has been talking to us about why a contract extension must be on the table for the 21-year-old. 
Ben Johnson has improved so much over the past 12 months. He's gone from being on the fringe of the first team to becoming a first team regular. So far this season, he's made 17 Cup of League appearances and involves fixtures. West Ham have kept six clean sheets. So it goes to show how important he is in defence. He's very versatile, can play left back, can play right back, can also play at centre half. So long may his development continue. He's also been on the radar for England on 21. He was on a standby list in November for their games against Georgia and Czech Republic. So credit to Ben Johnson for his mindset and how focused he's been over the past four months. And as I mentioned in one of my pieces earlier in the week, he definitely warrants a contract extension. He has a two-year clause which expires at the end of May. So I could definitely see West Ham activating that at some point in the not too distant future. So yeah, he's been a great defender for West Ham over the past four months. He's improved so much and long may it continue. West Ham beat Norwich last night, George. I mean, you would have expected it, obviously, before the game at the moment, the way things have been for both sides, but a good win. And West Ham, they are moving at the table. And I, can't, I think it was on this podcast, I said about West Ham being more likely to finish top four than Manchester United. And I'll stand by that. Yeah, it's, it's looking better now. Um, it looks like they've they've gone through their little difficult spell. Um, they've won four consecutive games in all competitions, and they're scoring a lot of goals in doing so. You know, putting four past Watford, three past Palace, and then back to back two 0 home wins as well. It was pretty regulation stuff on Wednesday night against the Norwich side, who still just looked to be really struggling to to put any kind of form together. Despite Dean Smith pointing out after the game that he thinks they're still they're still in it, uh, it's hard to see where the points are going to come from. Uh, but this is all about Jared Bowen, isn't it? Really, with with West Ham. Um, saw a uh, yeah ever since West Ham fans crediting Danny Dyer with his upturn in form. Ever since he's been seeing Danny Dyer, his form has been incredible. So there you go. She is the secret to Jared Bowen's good form, um, if you're wondering. But yeah, a couple of goals last night, hit the woodwork as well, uh, and had a goal disallowed. Um, he is just such an exciting player, such a, a great prospect, and somebody who I think David Moyes deserves a lot of credit for because you know, he came to, to West Ham already a very talented player, maybe struggled to have the immediate impact that that um, that people hoped he would do, similar to Saeed Ben Rama, um, but this season he's really kicked on. And, and I wonder if he's a player who, you know, in whether it's in in January or in the summer, will be on the the radar of a few clubs who are, are circling because that kind of player, that wide player who scores so many goals um, and has a pretty specific skill set, isn't that easy to come by? Yeah, we caught him today, guys, from four into a hundred to thirty for uh, for the England squad. And as we've touched on before, you know, the form of certain players, maybe the ones in Manchester, you know, and he seems to be a long way down the list, but the former Grealish, Sancho, you know, Rashford, Greenwood even, you know, he, he's certainly up there with the, in, in the form that he's in. He's just, he's scoring goals and, and assists now. And George, you're remembering back at his, his hall days when he was rubbing shoulders on the goal scoring front with the likes of Tammy Abraham when he was at your place, Dan, uh, Dwight Gale, Maupay, Pookie. It was, it was, you know, 22 goals he got in that 18-19 season. And the season after he left in January, he had 16 goals and was still one of the top goal scorers in the, mm. in the, in the championship. So I know he's got more assists than goals this season, but he's certainly on the catch up. And uh, I'd be odds on about him getting 10 or more this season as well. Yeah. Exciting times, as we said, about. Uh, about West Ham at the moment. Yeah, it's my captain in my fantasy football team as well, which went down very well. In my oh, it's that coin toss night. between him and Antonio, Dan, wasn't it? And I went for clearly Antonio. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. marvelous. Another loser off backs. Lovely work. No, I thought I get the captain right, so that was a, a treat for me last night. Leeds looking any more likely for the drops, Dave? I, it, it looks a four-horse race already with Norwich at one to twenty. Burnley and Watford both at one to two. Newcastle at five to four. And Newcastle's price could get bigger if they get any more players in between now and the end of the month. And 
Clearly, it's tough with all the first-teamers that Bielsa's got missing. I think in that FA Cup game when there were a couple rested, I think there was three teenagers had started. Bielsa hasn't been able, that continuity that he's been after, um, he hasn't had that. Meslier's played every game. Good job he hasn't been injured at the moment. Or uh, he's, he's been overworked. He's, he's faced 99 shots on target. The only thing is, he's minus 5.7 on the goals prevented chart. There's only Kasper Smeichel and Nick Pope below him in that as well. Um, they are nine to four fifth favourites, but um, we still think they're, um, they've got plenty enough to stay in the division. And what's your tip for the game, Steve? Here we go. Here we go. Here it comes. I've been waiting for it. Okay. Craig Dawson hasn't scored a Premier League goal all season. Okay. He's had numerous chances. Who was his last Premier League goal against? It leads at home. Okay, so I'm going to go for Craig Dawson against that dodgy Leeds defence from a set play to score at any time. I like it in my fantasy football team as well, so I'll be very happy with that, Steve, if that comes off. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Final game for us to preview today is the 4.30pm North London derby, Spurs against Arsenal. George, Spurs have got a game in hand, so it would be a huge statement were Arsenal to take the three points. Yeah, I mean, this is a clearly a massive game um, for, for so many reasons. You know, there is uh, the, the rivalry here. It is the North London derby. These two sides do not like each other. Um, and both sets of fans are going to be desperate to get one over on the other. But when you also factor in the, the race for... Um, Champions League football 
uh, this is absolutely massive. You know, top four odds at the moment have Arsenal seven to four, Tottenham seven to four. They cannot be split, and the winner of this game is going to have a huge advantage um, going to the rest of the season uh, to get that top four. And I don't think you can really underestimate how big a Champions League qualification would be for either of these sides. You've got Antonio Conte who's come in in the summer and a new director of football as well. Um, for Tottenham to be able to recruit and offer Champions League football next season would be massive. For Mikel Arteta, who, despite in flashes showing some tactical acumen with some decent performances over the course of the couple of years he's been at Arsenal, has, except for the FA Cup win, has achieved next to nothing in the league. And this a top four finish would represent progress and all of the, the the things I mentioned a second ago in terms of being able to recruit at a high level as well in the summer. It's a very hard sell to bring top players to clubs um, who not only haven't not aren't playing Champions League football but haven't in in a few seasons. You're going to have to overpay probably for what you're going to get. So this is huge. I mean, there I know these are two clubs who have been challenging for titles, albeit not against each other, but in the in the recent past. Um, but as far as what's on the line here with these two sides both vying for what looks like one spot uh, I can't think of a, a more important North London derby in a long time yeah the chance is really there for someone to nab that fourth space this season who you might not have expected because I think we all maybe thought top four would be a closed shot between the top three there now and Manchester United but there is that gap and someone's going to take it I think that isn't Manchester United so it's going to be really interesting Steve Conte has been talking about the need to bring in competition for Harry Kane up top We've all probably all thought that they could do with another striker, but managers don't often talk about stuff like that. I quite like Conte for coming out and saying that, but it's a difficult sell for someone, isn't it, to come and back up Harry? Well, not someone to come in competition with Harry Kane because you would think they would be back up. Well, yeah, maybe he wants uh, he wants a body in between now and end of January, maybe just trying to twist the board's arm. I, I don't know. I was surprised that Kane was kept on against Chelsea, I, I have to say. And you saw just last week... You know, that Tottenham side without Harry Kane in the team, even against Morecambe, the fact that Morecambe went to six to four in play to win the game. And then, of course, you know, Kane comes on and they end up winning by three goals to one. You've got players who aren't natural centre forwards trying to play in that position when Kane is, is rested. And that isn't very often at all, is it, as well? So he's fifth on the list of of minutes played this season already and within his injury record as well you'd like to probably wrap him up in cotton wool just a little bit more unfortunately they just haven't got the uh, the personnel to do that so should he get injured it will be a be a massive concern for Conte yeah that's the vice captain George the captain Hugo Lloris has opened new contract talks according to the Athletic is it that important that they keep Lloris? I would say they're in quite a powerful position, Spurs, because, I mean, we did a podcast on Bosman's and contracts a few weeks ago on this feed. There's not really anywhere for him to go. No, and he is another player who, there's an assumption that he is a an elite goalkeeper, but I think that's probably better out there, to be honest. I mean, I don't think, I think we're in a quite a weird position in the Premier League where I'm not convinced that Lloris is invaluable to Spurs. I'm not convinced at all that De Gea is invaluable to Manchester United either. Um, I think some of the best keepers in the Premier League might not play for the best teams in the Premier League. Edison is another one who, whilst he's, his distribution is very good, he's pretty rarely challenged as a as a shot stopper and as a as a goalkeeper as well. Um, but whether or not he's important to them, well, you look at what you look at Gallini last night, who came in and played in goal uh, on Wednesday evening against Chelsea, coming out and flapping for the for the Rudiger goal that the, saw Chelsea win one nil. Um, and Spurs' recruitment on the goalkeeping side of things in terms of number twos hasn't been particularly good. So 
you know, you, until you have somebody ready made to come in and, and, and replace uh, the guy who's been your keeper and done well and, and is captain of the last 10 years, I, yeah, I think his importance to Spurs probably outweighs his ability. Newcastle stay up, maybe part of their supposed revolution. I don't know, there just doesn't feel a natural fit for Lloris to go if he does leave Spurs, so we'll keep our eye on that one. Steve, Arsenal very, very light in midfield at the moment. It's a big week for them with the North London derby sandwiching between two League Cup semi-finals against Liverpool. The first leg hasn't taken place at the time of recording. I'm still shocked that they've let Maitland-Niles go when they're, they're so short in that area. But when you've got that run of games, having extra bodies becomes important and they just don't have that at the moment in midfield. No, they don't, of course, with a couple away and uh, African Cup of Nations duty as well. I mean... Just going back to their game last week, then how bad were Arsenal last week? I mean, I know Forest were Forest were good. Called it, yeah, you set. called it. Yeah, you called it. And you know, Forest I thought were were fantastic. And 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 clearly Arsenal. And we talked about Bissouma early in the in the pod, didn't we? Um, he'd certainly do a job there. And but who do you buy in January? It's notoriously tough, isn't it? I think Odegaard was bought in on loan last season. Then it was made a permanent at this stage, and that's clearly gone well but it always feels to me quite rare just to get it right in the, in the January transfer window and you're certainly going to be, be paying over the odds as well I think the area would be a concern for Arsenal in their quest to finish in the top four so yeah let's see what happens and see if they do bring anyone in in, in January what are the odds looking like for this game Steve yes it's a, it's a tough one to call Spurs are actually favourites at at six to four ish uh, Dan to win the game with Arsenal at, at, at 19 to 10 like George said earlier we can't really split them as regards to finishing in the top four it's been a while. I mean, for so long, I think it was 22 years that Arsenal dominated the the, the North London match bet, and then Spurs have dominated. So my Twitter feed tells me 2,069 days since Arsenal have finished above them. So it's all looking very precarious at the moment. So I'm looking forward to see who finishes it with that full spot for grabs. I think this is going to be a poor game. You know, there's been some really good games at 4:30 on a Sunday on Sky recently. I've got a feeling this one's going to be a bit cager. I don't think it's going to be a good game. We're going to get for under goals. I would say so. I won one. I think for this game, that would be that'd be on my coupon. Okay, well, under goals down ten to eleven, just like it. We can't call it really, so that's where I'd be playing under two and a half goals. Just enough time for me to remind you that if for some reason you're not subscribed to the Athletic and you would like to change that, head to theathletic.com/slash/footballpod and you'll gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts, all for just three pound thirty-three a month for an entire year. And with the January transfer window open again, The Athletic are recording daily transfer shows, bringing you exclusive news and insight on any deals from the best newsroom in the industry. The only place you'll hear these podcasts is on The Athletic app or by subscribing to The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can get a free trial on that today if you haven't already done so. Thanks to Steve, thanks to George, and of course, all of you for listening. Remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic.